0: Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida.
1: So John the Baptist at a young age had wonderful parents who were there teaching him the truths of God's Word. Single parent, parent, are you teaching your kids the things of God? They grew up to be adults like us, and how their consciences are trained depends whether they turn out sensitive to the things of God or disastrous with hardened conscience. Much of that happens at a very early age.
0: In today's message, we'll discuss the conscience. Most often, we hear the conscience being described as our moral barometer. It helps us distinguish between right and wrong. But as we'll learn today, as Christ followers, we can't trust our own fleshly understanding to determine how to live right. We need God. That's why we need the Word. From Genesis to Revelation, we have all we need to live a life pleasing to our Heavenly Father. And secondly, we've been given His Spirit. You see, when we walk according to the Spirit, we won't fulfill our fleshly desires. Instead, we'll walk in a path and plan that God has for us. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 14, for part one of our message entitled, Sleepless.
1: conscience is like a soft pillow we'll see today in our teaching three different characters one who's in prison I'm certain he doesn't have a soft pillow but he's not sleepless he's doing well we'll see one other who has all the pillows in the world he needs and yet he's sleepless he's restless and we'll see another that has all the pillows she needs she's not restless but she should be because she's in a dangerous place. What is your conscience? Is it an organ of the body, like your appendix? If you get tired of your conscience, could you go to the doctor and say, remove it? If you did, where would he start removing it? A little boy said to his dad, Dad, what's my conscience? That's a tough question. How would you answer it? His dad responded after he thought and thought and thought, Well, son, I can't tell you exactly where your conscience is, or what it is, but when the phone rings, take down the receiver and listen. That's what we're going to talk about. You see, when the phone rings in your conscience, if you have a healthy conscience, it's God speaking to you. You need to take it off the receiver and listen. We'll see different ways we handle God speaking to our conscience. You see, our conscience is kind of like a traffic light. It's a moral traffic light. It will tell you when to stop and start. It will tell you when to proceed with caution. If you have a healthy conscience and you see a green light, your conscience will say, go ahead, head right on through. When you see a red light, it'll say, stop. When you see a yellow light, it'll say, caution. You're beginning to head down a wrong road. Now, conscience is a part of us that helps us keep in line with God's will. Our conscience is a gift from God. It's not a negative thing. It's a very positive thing. It helps us to do and be sensitive to his moral code, to his directions. Right or wrong is hard to determine unless there's a standard. You see, our conscience will tell you to do right, but it will not tell you what right is. Did you get that? Our conscience will tell us to do right, but it won't tell us what right is. To know what right is, there must be a standard. And for the Christian, this is the standard. This tells us when to stop, when to go, when to be cautious. And God uses this Bible as our enlightenment. For you see, our conscience must be educated it is God given, but it must be educated and enlightened by God's word. And you can look at the conscience negatively as like it's a judgment on you if you feel guilty or positive when you see that caution or that green light and you feel good about going through. I'm going to show you quickly this morning four different types of consciences. This is the only overheads you'll see so you can write them down and we'll go through quickly our passage. First type of conscience that we're going to talk about this morning is a weak or super-sensitive conscience. By the way, we roll through these from time to time, all of us do, but some of us have this weaker, super-sensitive conscience this morning. This is a conscience that has become flawed because what we've learned in life, every time we hear the phone ring, actually it rings all the time. We're too harsh on ourselves. These are Christians who have become sin conscious. They don't understand God's grace. Everything they do is legalistic. It's wrong. They're afraid to move. I saw this exhibited very graphically in a nursing home setting in which I was a consultant. There was a little lady, and it didn't matter what time of day you went or when you saw her in the hall with all the other hundred residents, here's what she would say, am I doing right? Am I doing right? Am I doing right? Am I doing right? All day long, that's what she said. Can you imagine the horrible background she came from? Because, see, she never had peace. Something was always wrong. She couldn't please God. And so she had a super sensitive conscience. You see, we need grace, not legalism. We'll talk more about this one later. Second is a compromising conscience. On the other hand, if we ignore our conscience, if the phone rings and we don't pick it up, or if we do pick it up but we ignore the message, then we are compromising in our life. You see, we can get to a place where we convince ourselves that all is well, but it isn't. Instead of being too hard on ourselves, we're too easy. And really, you know, we look at the Bible and go, well, that verse applies. But when you talk about something that I'm doing in my life, well, that really doesn't apply. And let me show you the the fabrication that I can come up with, the justification that I can come up with to get around my conscience. And man, are we good at that. A compromised conscience. It's actually flawed. Number three, a hardened conscience. This is the dangerous one. The Bible speaks about it as a seared conscience. This comes from a lifestyle, not once, but a lifestyle of rejecting God's standard. So that after a while, the phone doesn't even ring. Everything you do, you determine yourself. In fact, it's very similar to the book of Judges where it says, and every man and woman did that which was right in his own eyes. The standard was them. Certainly, it's a very dangerous place to be. That conscience becomes seared as if you place a hot iron on your hand and initially it would hurt like crazy. And over time, as it healed, if you did it again, then and again, then again, and pretty soon your hand would become so scarred that you could put a hot iron on there and nothing, nothing affects it. Lastly, is a good or clear conscience. This is the kind of conscience God wants us to have. One that testifies against us when we are sinning and it makes us feel guilty. You go, I don't like that. Yeah, but that's God's love to us. It's saying you went down the wrong road. How about coming back now? Now, it calls us, instead of condemnation, as the enemy would do, it's conviction by the Holy Spirit. And it calls us back to God, to repentance, and gives us hope. So a good, healthy conscience is a valuable asset in your life and my life because it brings me back to the path that God wants me to live. It doesn't condemn me again, but it brings me back through the Holy Spirit conviction. Write this verse down, Acts 24, 16. Here's what it says. So I strive, Paul says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and then he adds a very interesting one, and man. You see, my conscience isn't only clear before God, but most of my relationships on the, obviously on the horizontal area are with people. And if I offend people, then my conscience is going to bother me. So Paul said, I strive. Why did he use the word strive? It's not easy, is it? He said, I he said, I didn't always have it. In fact, later on, Paul says, I believe I have a good conscience, but only God is the one that can tell. So I'm striving, you're striving, if you're a Christian this morning, to have a good conscience, not only between God, but between man. We'll see today what a good conscience is actually like. Let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 14. Now we left Jesus off as he sent his 12 disciples out. They headed out into ministry. While they're out into ministry, we don't know where they're going or how long they're going to be gone. Mark inserts here another passage, and as he inserts this passage, we wonder why we're going to John the Baptist. We change everything. We sandwich between the disciples going out and at end verse 30, they come back. In between there is John the Baptist. Why? Here's what you're going to see. You see, the disciples went out all excited about serving God. They just said, man, this is great. We're going to go out. We've got God's power, you know, his purpose. We're going to go out. It's exciting. So what Mark is trying to say is, hey, the world that they were going out to isn't really kind of like a play world. It's a very dangerous world. Because they're going to see in a moment from the scripture, John the Baptist, and you're going to see that it offsets the joy that the disciples have. So while they're gone, we pick up on the story of John the Baptist. Now we left him. In chapter 1, so it's been a while, so we'll pick up as we go. Let's look at verse 14. Now, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, no, he is Elijah, and others claim he's the prophet like one of the prophets long ago. You see, as Jesus' ministry began to spread in popularity, the political leaders, not only religious leaders, but the political leaders were not excited about this new popular guy. Because not only was he popular, but he was talking about a new kingdom. And the people were saying he's the king of the new kingdom. Now, what did that mean? So we'll see that Herod is paranoid, as many political leaders will be. And as Jesus is gaining in popularity people don't want to admit, like today, that he's the Messiah. You know, when you say Jesus Christ today, people say, nice guy, good guy, nice man, nice prophet, but they don't want to admit the Messiah. Well, we have three solutions here that these people came up with. Let's look at them again. First of all, some people thought Jesus was the Elijah of the Old Testament. Now, why would they think that? Because Elijah didn't die. So he's was translated, so, well, he's come back and this is Elijah. Couldn't be the Messiah, just must be Elijah. Other people thought that Jesus was just an Old Testament prophet. He was like Moses or Jeremiah. Then others remember John the Baptist, and at this point John the Baptist had died, they remember John the Baptist and they said, well, this must be John the Baptist, he's raised from the dead, and he's out and he's doing, it sounds like John the Baptist, this repentance stuff we hear, and he's been raised from the dead. Now, it's interesting that they would believe that, because really Jesus is doing miracles. John the Baptist, we have no record of him ever doing miracles. But see, we'll fabricate anything to try to say to ourselves, this isn't the Messiah, he's a good person here. Now, one of those persons who believed that John the Baptist was raised from the dead, and that's who Jesus was, was somebody by the name of King Herod Antipas. He was a ruler. Actually, he was Jewish. He worked for Rome. We see King Herod in a beautiful picture of a guilty conscience. When Herod the Great died... And he was the one that put the two-year-old children and under to death, you remember, in Jesus' time. When he died, his sons took over the ruling of the land of Israel from Rome. Israel was broken into four districts. And one of those districts, the territory of Galilee and Perea, was King Herod Antipas. That was his area. And he obviously knew of Galilee, where Jesus worked. And John the Baptist had been down in Perea. So he knew both of these people, and he was involved with them. Now, he wasn't really a king, but people called him that, and he liked that kind of title, obviously. Now, the Herod family is kind of like the mafia in our day. They were known for everything, all bad. So it shouldn't surprise you what you're going to see that heads on. Let's look at verse 16. But now when Herod, or King Herod, heard this, he said... John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. When King Herod heard that there was a miracle worker traveling through his area, again, when that news got to him, he said, had to be John the Baptist. He believed John the Baptist had come back to trouble him, to cause him aggravation. And it was kind of like a flashback, you know, a horrible flashback. Why? Well... You don't see it here but the Greek in those words the man I beheaded in the Greek it's the emphatic position which means I'm the guy that did it. I'm guilty. The reason John the Baptist has come back from the dead is I killed him. I was at fault. I shouldn't have killed John the Baptist. He was innocent, but I did it. We'll see in a moment how King Herod did this. But From that period of time when King Herod killed John the Baptist, he thought he had silenced John the Baptist. He had. John the Baptist hadn't come back to life. But he had silenced John the Baptist. But for those months, he didn't silence his conscience. It was guilty. And many a night, this soft pillow, doesn't matter how many pillows the king had, he awoke with a flashback. It's John the Baptist. Man, I'm guilty. I should have never killed him. I should have never listened to my wife. I blew it. How am I going to get rid of this guilt? So we see sleepless in the palace of somebody who realistically should have had it made. And you know what it's like to be miserable. You see, a good conscience is like a soft pillow. Herod didn't have one. Well, who is this John the Baptist? We talked a little bit about him. Let's kind of review it for a moment. When John the Baptist was born, you remember he's born from Zechariah and and from Elizabeth, a a miracle birth. And when he was born, he was born to be a Nazarite, which means he had certain vows that he kept in holiness. And from a young age, he was told, instructed, that he was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. What a privilege. He was going to go through the land and say, there's one coming after me that's going to change the world forever. That was his wonderful privilege. Now, as a young age, at a young age, as all children do, they have a conscience that God puts within us. Romans 1 tells us that God puts a conscience in you and me and every man and woman in the world that we can know right from wrong, the basic things and who God is. John the Baptist had this. But see, we need our consciences educated according to the things of God so that we know how to live practically in the days of in which we're living. So he had this overall conscience, but he needed a conscience that had to be educated. Who would educate his conscience? Well, his parents. So John the Baptist at a young age had wonderful parents who were there teaching him the truths of God's word. Single parent, parent, are you teaching your kids the things of God? They grew up to be adults like us. And how their consciences are trained depends whether they turn out sensitive to the things of God or disastrous with heart and conscience. Much of that happens at a very early age. So John the Baptist's parents no doubt shared with him the Old Testament. God, his character, his nature. And I think it's really important for us to remember if you're a parent, single parent parent this morning, that you're doesn't matter if you've blown it all this, right in now, start now. Not only live the word, but teach the word to your kids. They need to understand their conscience need to be trained, and this is what trains them. You're the one. Now, because we have ungodly parents and people who have not been raised right, are not Christians, we have some of their children in our ministry. That's why we need godly people to teach in our kids' ministry, because the only thing they get all week is a little bit of training for their conscience that we're going to give them here. It's not babysitting. It's very vital. And that's why our kids' ministry has to be a priority in this fellowship, as it should be in any fellowship. Now, when John the Baptist left home, he had a good, trained conscience. But it doesn't stop when you leave home. You see, as an adult, I continue to have my conscience trained. It's either going to be trained by the world, and is it being trained by the world? Wow. It's being trained by the world. Or, as we sit here, we're going to be trained. And that's, some of you don't get it. You come to church and some of you guys are here and it's, you're here because your parents made you come here. You're here because your husband won you here. Your wife won you here. Whatever. You're here because it's illegal. You don't get it. The time you're here is valuable. Because we take the Old Testament and we talk about the characters of the Bible. And we see all their mistakes and we go, how could people do that? Well, we're them people. We do it today. But if we'll learn from it, it helps us to answer the phone quicker when God calls. And we don't go down that road. So this is important that you're listening this morning. We're listening to God actually educate our consciences right now. Now, as we go through this, there's another place where you need to have your conscience educated. And that's your own quiet time. Every morning or afternoon or whatever time you uh, that's easier for you, you need to reassess yesterday. And you need to say, when God put the red light up, did I stop? When the caution came, did I just blow through it? And let's be honest, we blow through it, don't we? That's exactly what happens in people's lives. They live without any presence of God in their life. They're just going through daily life, and God's ringing the phone like crazy, and we're just heading down the road, not listening at all. So you need to reassess through God's word how you did yesterday. Now, John the Baptist was coming, and he was kind of a guy that was going to say to the nation of Israel, get right! He did it like that, by the way, and they didn't like that because he was going to be the conscience for a nation that had lost the conscience. So his conscience was clear and good. Why? Because at a young age, his parents helped him. And when he went off in the wilderness, you remember the guy, he was in the wilderness before he came announcing all this. He was the guy with leather. He was the guy that loved honey. And he dipped them locusts into him, you know, and had all those things all over his beard. That was the guy who said, get right! People looked at him like, who is this guy? But see, he was right because the quiet time that he spent in the wilderness with God, made his conscience crystal, squeaky, clean. And he was able to say, get right. John the Baptist was an example of someone with a good and clean conscience. Now, let me say this word, and then quickly we go on. He was a straight shooter. He said it like he saw it. Now, some people don't like that. Actually, I don't like that if I'm guilty. I like somebody that misses the mark, kind of goes around me, you know, whatever. John the Baptist, bullseye. So the nation really didn't care for him. Many people did because they realized they were guilty and had a great following. People were baptized. They repented of their sins, but many others didn't enjoy that. Now, how did John the Baptist get involved with King Herod? Well, let's read on. Verse 17. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put into prison. Now, I did this because Herodias, of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying, here's John in his straight shooter, had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Probably said it like that. Now, what does this mean? We have King Herod, King Philip, Herodias, divorce, remarriage. It's a soap opera. King Herod, he's the one that killed John the Baptist. Initially, he had married a woman who was a daughter of an Arabian king. It was kind of a political thing next to Israel. On a trip to Rome to visit his half-brother Philip, he was going to visit him, trouble began to brew.
0: We learned something important today about raising children. Parents, we've been entrusted with our children. We're to care for them physically, And we're also supposed to make sure that they're raised up in the truth of God's word. Understand that how we parent will mold our children. Yes, they will ultimately make up their own minds as to whom they'll follow. But it's our responsibility to show them what it looks like to walk as a child of God. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Mark will remind us that God does have a righteous standard. And as His children, it should be our heart's desire to do what is pleasing to Him. Of course, we're not perfect. We'll fail. But it's our longing to walk in obedience that counts. That's not something that comes naturally. It's something that's birthed when we become born again, when we submit ourselves to Him. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right.